From the shining shores of Puget Sound to your radio, this is The Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station. You're listening to The Outdoor Line at Seattle Sports 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Here's a segment from a couple weeks ago that I think you'll enjoy. Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is The Outdoor Live with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station and at seattlesports.com. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Rain Marine Electronics, and Les Schwab Tires. Working hour two of The Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Streaming live on MyNorthwest.com. Don't forget about the general, TheOutdoorLine.com with blogs, podcasts, and so very, very much more. Uh, Joey Pyburn, uh, we used him a little too hard up here, uh, Joey. He had to, excuse me, uh, Joel, he had to uh, take, take the day off here. So, uh, but And, and Robbo is uh, off on a charter, so I got Joel Martin, FishBaronoff.com, co-hosting with me. So one of the aspects to Memorial Day weekend is it's, kind of the unofficial official start to summer, right? Mm -hmm. And with that means it's probably one of the busiest boating times of the year. I mean, without question, people are getting their boats out, getting them running for the first time. And one of the things that they're going to be faced with is the decision to do maintenance or put it off. Hunter Bland is joining us now, the Yamaha Safe Boating Ambassador. Again, I've I've told you to go to the the YouTube video, UF Bass Team Boating Accident, this man has a story to tell. Welcome to the show, Hunter Bland. How are you this morning, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys? Thank you so much for having me. No, I appreciate you jumping on with us today, Hunter. And and uh, I'll just let you tell the story. You you uh, you you were fishing on the University of Florida bass team, and uh, you happen to have a GoPro running on the on the boat at the time. And what was your experience? So we had just launched for a college bass fishing tournament, and um, we rolled through boat check. Everything's great. You know, they're making sure you're not hiding any fish away in the live well. They're <laughs> making sure your life jacket's on and fully fastened. They're making sure that your engine cutoff device is on, hooked to the driver, and then you have to pull it, make sure that it, you know, shuts off the big engine. So everything's great. We, we're only about two miles down the river after takeoff. You know, I'm five, 10 minutes into my day, my hydraulic steering comes completely apart at about 50 to 55 miles per hour. My partner, Connor, and I are ejected from the boat, and uh, we land in about 50-degree water. Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me is that when I land in the water, all I remember thinking is, like, what in the world just happened? I shouldn't be swimming. I'm supposed to be fishing. <laughs> so I uh, see the full wrap of my boat coming back over the top of my head. So the momentum of the boat takes it 360 and it comes back over the top of me and I got trapped underneath the boat and I hit my head on the bottom of the boat twice trying to get out. And all I could remember was swim lessons. When you were a little kid, they taught you to kick, kick off the wall and start swimming to the other side. So I, I did that kind of motion where I tried to kick off the wall and, you know, just springboard away from something and that's in the corner of the video where you see me pop up. But I'll note that I was actually wearing a manual inflatable life jacket at the time, 
and I wasn't as educated on, on life jackets as I am today. Um, but that manual life jacket, my partner Connor had to swim over to me and inflate my life jacket. So, you know, if you're ever recreating on the water and doing something other than really kayaking or paddleboarding where you might be in the water a lot, that's where a manual inflatable might come into play. But in my situation and any power boating situation, jet skiing, anything like that, like a manual is not the option, um, especially if I was unconscious. So it's, uh, it's truly a blessing to be here. It's truly a blessing to hang out with you guys and, and share my story. And it's truly a blessing that I was raised to wear a life jacket and wear an engine cutoff device because I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, Hunter, I got to ask you, what was the, what failed to let people know what to look for? So the, the biggest thing that, I, that I'll say to look for is, you know, we did all the proper maintenance. My boat was in the, the local dealer two weeks before that, getting an oil change done and a walk around done. You know, they're tightening bolts and always making sure. And before I launch every morning, I'm, you know, the night before I'm prepping for, for the trip, just like we all do. Um, but I'm taking a wrench and checking all my steering as normal. But what actually failed was, that to our knowledge is we lost a, a nut on our hydraulic steering assembly. So the entire assembly comes apart. Like the hydraulic wow. you know, cylinder even came out of the arm. So the only thing that was left hanging was the single bolt that holds it to the engine. Uh, we had to even zip tie everything back together just to get the boat towable down the highway. So I would encourage everybody to, you know, for the unexpected is really what I what I preach and drive home because we can't predict it. That situation is something, you know, mechanical. Mechanical things still can fail. Um, we hope and pray nothing ever happens. But in my instance, you know, something completely just out of the ordinary happened. And I've heard a lot of people have come forward to me over social media and things like that, that they've had hydraulic steering failures and things like that. But... I'm going to drive home the point of just double check everything the night before the moment you get ready to launch your boat, just triple check everything because you definitely don't want to go through something. I, I like I went through. No. Yamaha safe boating ambassador, Hunter Bland joining us this morning. And, and the video he's referring to can be found on YouTube real easy. You just type in UF bass team boating accident and I, I was shook when I, when I saw it, Hunter. And it just, it was immediately apparent to me. I, I have a little background in marine safety. And when it, it, it was so obvious to me that if you would not have been wearing the engine cutoff, you would have, you, and you mentioned you were, you were underneath your boat. Well, you know what's going to happen. You've, you've got that propeller that's coming right over you at that time. I mean, it's, it's likely that, that one or both of you may have not have survived this, this incident. And, and this, is, this is a graphic example of, you know, why Yamaha always preaches that maintenance matters. It really does. And if you want trouble-free boating, you need to be familiar with your boat, and, and you need to keep some spares. What are some of the things that you have in your, your spare kit on your boat, parts for your motor? What, what would you suggest at, at a minimum that folks should carry with them to be a little more trouble-free on the water, Hunter Bland? That's a great question. You know, it's something that I spend countless hours thinking about. Like I mentioned before, you know, prepare for the unexpected. So what's in my 
safety and preventative kit in my boat is a lot of things some people would never even think about. And that's what I'm going to encourage all of you guys to do is think about something that's completely out of the ordinary and put it in your boat. And maintenance really, really does matter. So I've got everything down from a spare prop. Now, I could, I navigate a lot of different bodies of water where I have great lake master mapping and things like that. But you never know there could be a floater you don't see or anything like that where you bend the prop, but you need to get back to, to shore. So I have a spare prop. I've got everything all the way down to all the hardware for my prop, even a spare cotter pin. So <laughs> I've got all that. In, in a back compartment, I even carry like an, um, there's a company called Angler Aid that I found online that um, it basically, actually Brandon Polinick, another Yamaha angler, a lot of you probably know, very, very great guy, to help develop it. And it's a box that is not only a first aid kit, but man, it's got ibuprofen if I got a headache. It's got, you know, electrical tape it's got fuses it's got a multi-tool a thermometer i mean the list goes on and on so i'm double checking that box at all points in time making sure i don't need to replenish anything if i use electrical tape you know that i had to you know a random wire i accidentally cut or something you know you, you never know what you're gonna run into but i've also got all the additional you know throwables i've got flares i've got fire extinguishers and you know, when we go talk about life jackets, you would probably chuckle, but I probably got about 10 in my boat right now. No kidding. Yeah, every different that's... size, every style, because you never know what you're going to anticipate. But I've been to a dock and a media personnel might want to go out. And if, if you only have one life jacket for you, or how do you know you don't need to rescue somebody on the water or something like that? So preparing for preparing for the unexpected really accompanies everything for me. And and that's that's a great point. And and I, I I would bet I could pull ten life jackets out of my boat right now as well. And and, and two throwable devices. And 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 it's what a lot of people don't really grasp, Hunter. In, in in my opinion, is that if you're inviting people out on your boat, there's a there's a responsibility imbued in that. You you have you 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 need to have safety equipment for them. You have to have. Um, first aid equipment for them. I keep a level four trauma kit on my boat, including Israeli bandages and quick clot and a whole bunch of stuff. Right. But, but the, yeah. the main, the, just the, the maintenance aspect of that. And your point is, I think is very, very well taken about a prop and a prop nut because people, especially folks that run stainless props, well, I don't need a spare propeller. If I damage my prop, the, the lower unit's going to be damaged. Well, what if you have a cotter pin failure and what if you spin a prop off? Right. And just having right. those those basic spares are just going to, you know, it, re it really makes a difference. But something else I packed too, Hunter, in my experience, I, I've had to tow boats home that, that either had a failure or, or ran out of fuel or stuff like that. So a decent tow line, you know, and, and thinking about something for another boat is just a just a great point. Hunter, we thank you for your time today. Um, I've got, I, God bless you for, for be joining us today and, and telling your story, because you you took a situation that could have potentially turned you away from boating and, and you turned it into, uh, you know, you're now becoming the national uh, safe boating ambassador for Yamaha. I think you're commended for, you know, turning, turning this lemon situation into lemonades, Hunter. Well, I really, really appreciate that. And, you know, that, that is a huge compliment for me. And I just knew that I wanted to help. And that accident for me um, was a turning point in my life where I realized, you know, I was put on this earth to help somebody 
in water safety because of that accident. And, and I got to give the hats off to Yamaha. If it wasn't for Yamaha taking a chance on a 21-year-old kid with a huge passion in water safety, I wouldn't be on this phone with you right now. So I'm forever grateful for everybody that's put time and effort into me with a with a vision and a dream just to help people on the water. And, and it's gentlemen like yourself that have continued to give me opportunities, and collectively we're going to make the waterways a safer place. That sounds like a great plan to me. Once again, go look at this YouTube video, UF Bass Team Boating Accident. And if it doesn't send you to the Marine store to grab some extra parts and grab some life jackets and stuff, it's uh, definitely something to think about, especially right now, the front end of boating season. Let's prepare to boat safely. Hunter Bland, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we appreciate it. And your, uh, your, your interview comes to us courtesy of Yamaha Outboards, and uh, I, I'm glad to be involved with the same company you are, and I appreciate your time today, Hunter Bland. Thank you guys so much. You guys have a blessed and safe weekend. Y'all boat safe. All right, you too, Hunter. Thank you thank you so much. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. From the shining shores of Puget Sound to your radio, this is the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station. You're listening to the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710. Here's a great interview from a while back that I think you'll really enjoy. Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station and at seattlesports.com. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Ray Marine Electronics, and Les Schwab Tires. Welcome to Hour 2 the Outdoor Line 710, Seattle Sports Station, Seattle Sports app. He hails from Grand Lake, Oklahoma. He just won the Bassmaster Classic with Yamaha-powered Express aluminum boat, and he's with us right now. Good morning, and welcome, Jason Christie. Morning, Jason. Morning, Jason. Good morning, guys. How are you guys? Oh, doing great. Congratulations, by the way, and thanks for taking the time to jump on with us. Tell us about that aluminum bass boat, dude. How long have you been running one of these Express boats, man? Uh, this is the second year. Um, you know, I joined them last year, and, and uh, you know, it's kind of opened my eyes um, to kind of the versatility of the rig. You know, a lot of people think, uh, you know, you, you see a guy win in an aluminum boat, and the first thing you think of is jumping beaver dams and logs and <laughs> getting in the backwater. And uh, we, did, we did that last year on the Sabine. You know, when I won there, I kind of showed – what it can do up shallow and i think one of the cool things is in the classic showing that you know it's not just the sump jumper um you can get off the bank out there 30 foot of water um it really is a bass boat and and uh yeah i just um it just lets me i feel tough (laughs) yeah i I like that like like nothing like a a, i've mentioned kind of like an armadillo you know like nothing can really nothing can hurt you from getting yeah, so uh, yeah, it's been uh, pretty cool. They dent, they don't break. Now, how do they handle at 75, 80 miles an hour when you got your, you know, the pedal mashed and you're flying across the lake? Do they handle like a big heavy glass boat or will they, will they do okay at those high speeds? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the response, I think that's the key word is just it's really responsive. Um, 
it you know it, it quick turns uh, you know the whole shot in it is is what I think is uh, really impressive I, you know I always say there is not a whole shot you know we we don't have a whole shot in our rig we we jump up and and we're on plane and and off to the races so yeah it's uh you know a lot of my friends get in it and you know marshals and tv guys and stuff and you know that's the first thing they ask before we take off man how's this thing riding and i just you know the simple answer for me is it will surprise you and uh a lot of those guys after you know we get off the water that's exactly what they say man i'm i'm surprised uh and how it rode and, and how it handled Bassmaster Classic, Jason Christie, joining us this morning. Jason, what percentage of the field is aluminum these days? Um, is there five of us? Four or five oh, of us? Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're looking at, what? what is that? Uh, yeah, close, a little over 5%. Wow. Um, yeah. So I know, I know you yeah, like to... The, I know you like to... One of the cool g- things is Sorry. we have had, what, one, two, three, four four or five wins in the last two years out of the guys that's fishing out of aluminum boats. And, and that's a high percentage whenever you only think about, you know, 20, 25 national tournaments in a year. Mm-hmm. So you you love to get in and do some shallow water flipping. And so does that aluminum boat allow you to kind of get into spots where maybe some of those other guys can't reach? You know, I saw that at, um, at Santee. I did not catch a lot of fish at Santee, but, um, you know, that thing's full of cypress trees and I, I was able to get in places. Um, but I don't think a lot of people were, would be able to just because of, you know, the decks wide, if you're fishing off of it, the deck feels really wide and it is wide, but what you don't have on each side is that four or five inches of wasted uh, gunnel space. You know what I mean? You just mm-hmm. have the outside wall of metal, and that's it. So that gets me, you know, 8, 10 inches narrower than a lot of boats. And literally at Santee, you know, I feel like I was going through places uh, in these cypress streets that I don't know that there's been, you know, a bass, but I'm sure there's been kayaks and stuff like that in there. But uh, during the event, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't running into anybody because I don't think a lot of those guys could, uh, other than the other aluminum boat owners, I don't think Uh a lot of those guys could get in there. Tell us about how you got started, man. You were a high school basketball coach, and now here you are winning the Bassmaster Classic. Tell us about the genesis of your whole bass, your professional bass fishing career, buddy. Uh, Pretty crazy where it's taking you, man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty cool story. You know, I've, I really had no aspirations at a young age of being a professional angler just because, you know, it was so far out there. Um, you know, my parents didn't have, we didn't have a lot of money. We had, I mean, we we had what we needed. Uh, we weren't poor by any means, but we, you know, I didn't get a bass boat when I turned 10 and all of this stuff, but I played <laughs> basketball in college and, and started coaching and, and anybody that's familiar with teachers, coach, coaches, you don't make a lot of money. So I supplemented that for nine or 10 years with, uh, fishing, you know, BFLs, team tournaments and stuff. And it just got to the point where after nine years that I had to make a decision on what I was going to go after, um, you know, really, really competitively, competitively. I couldn't keep doing both because they were interfering with, with each other. So I chose fishing and, and, uh, you know, it started off kind of rocky. 
uh, you know, the first tournament I ever fished, I think I finished 150 about a 200. And driving home, I was like, man, did I make the right decision? But the next tournament, I finished in the top 10. And, and uh, I think from there, I just, you know, I gained a little confidence and and uh, was able to, you know, it's, it's been great, man. I, You know, I tell people if I never win another tournament, I've still had, you know, one of the greatest careers that uh, anybody could ask for. Well, you're fishing for a living, man. And, I mean, you know, we all love to fish. Um, you get a fish so many lakes all over the country and i know you have a favorite lake talk a little bit about your favorite lake and and why what why is uh kentucky lake one of your favorite lakes um i don't know where you got the kentucky lake from but uh <laughs> kentucky lake is definitely you know what's weird about kentucky lake is is you know it seems like every time we go there i do really good uh whether it was flw or Bassmaster, it didn't matter. You know, we have so many good lakes across the country, but actually my favorite lake of all time is St. Clair uh, up in Michigan. You know, I've won a couple of times there. It's just, it's different. And what makes that lake cool is it's giant. You know, you get out in the middle, you can't see the bank in any direction. And what's cool about it is it is impossible. You can run across that lake blindfolded shut your engine off anywhere and it's impossible to fish for 30 minutes without catching one Hmm. so you know a lot of the lakes that we fish you know around the banks and the ledges and stuff that's good but out in the center of the lake it's really non-existent um you know as a whole but st Clair is just different man it's got smallmouth which is different than i get to fish for a lot but it's just uh it's just a cool cool lake we're talking with Jason Christie, Bassmaster champ. And, uh, Jason, as a professional angler, your stuff has to work. If, if you have an equipment failure, it's the same thing as not being able to fish for whatever reason. It can't happen. Tell us about some of the stuff you do with your electronics, with your boat, with your Yamahas that, that keep you running sweet, keep you out of trouble, and keep you on the water. Well, you know, you're right about that. And I'm to a point in my career where – um, you know, I, I say this as humbly as possible. I can pretty much run what I want to run, and I want to run the things that give me a competitive advantage, uh, you know, from the Yamaha getting out of the hole, you know, in point oh 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 one seconds and, you know, the Express and the rods reels, all of them. Um, I think if I were to give some advice, you know, on the way I'm headed to Chick today, and, you know, on the way I stopped and, and serviced, my Yamaha, just like you're supposed to, 20 hours. And uh, I think a lot of people, if you want to really get the most out of your equipment, whether it be reels, rods, boat, Yamaha, it doesn't matter, you just have to maintain it. You know, just because you pay fifty or or $100,000 for a rig doesn't mean that um, you don't have to still maintain it. You know, every time I get home, before I leave for the next tournament, I make a circle around the boat. Uh, the trailer, my my garments, you know, I make sure all screws are tight. I make sure all my connections are tight. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I've changed the oil and everything in my Yamaha, which is really, you know, that's the good thing about Yamaha. It's about the only thing you have to do to it. Uh, you know, make sure my props tie, and it really doesn't take that long. Uh, you know, maybe five to ten minutes, as long as you maintain it. And here's what happens. If you let it go for six months or a year, 
then you start incurring these problems because uh, they just they just snowball. So um, if I have to give some advice, it's just maintain your equipment. It'll last a lot longer, and uh, you'll spend a lot more time on the water fishing that, than you will fixing something. How many months out of the year are you on the road chasing bass and fishing in bass tournaments, buddy? And then when you do have downtime, are you doing something else, or are you scouting uh, during your downtime? Um, yeah, no, we, we pretty much leave, uh, leave in February for the season we're done you know late summer you know and i'm a super avid deer hunter and as soon as we quit fishing you know i'm in the woods until really until the season starts i you know i i'm pretty much done hunting in december i spend january uh kind of breaking my equipment in getting it ready for the season fishing a lot and then it just we start right back in february but uh yeah i love to i love to fish and i love to deer hunt and and uh, those two kind of, you know, they. I don't think I could have one without the other. You know, deer hunting gives me something to look forward to throughout the season. And then, you know, I'm in that deer stand late December, and I can't wait to get back on the water. Heck yeah! You you got a particular buck you've been watching the past couple of years that that you got your eyes on for this next season. I got one I've been nursing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just waiting for him to get a little bigger. Uh, you know, I actually I was able to get the one last year that I was looking for, and and uh, you know it's it's to me as I get older, some of it's about you know that particular buck or whatever. But man, a lot of it for me nowadays is just being in the woods. Nope, you know the cell phones on silent, uh, sitting by myself, and and just watching everything, taking kids. My kids hunting, you know, my family, uh, watching them do what uh, I used to do a lot of, but it's not about one deer or something. But that is my favorite thing to do, honestly, at the beginning of the season. I kind of pick one out that I feel like is really old and and uh, make it personal and uh, spend a lot of time going out. It's kind of like bass fishing, you know. You you uh, you kind of target, you want to target those bigger fish, and I like to do the same thing here at well, Jason, thanks for your time today. We sincerely appreciate it. And thanks to Nicholas Janisi and Brad Massey of Yamaha for setting this up. And, uh, again, man, a Yamaha-powered aluminum boat for the first time, an aluminum boat takes a classic. That's that's historic, man. It's it's awesome. And you you got one happy boat sponsor. I know that, man. <laughs> you just slapped some camo yeah. on that sucker and duck yeah, that out of that thing now, buddy. Yeah, we, we might do that later. It's been pretty cool. You know, I've, I've learned a lot of the – the first time things have happened, you know, the aluminum boat, and I was told a couple uh, days ago that I, um, as far as everybody knows, the first Native American to win. Uh, so it, it's just, it's been pretty cool. You know, I, I it still feels like a dream, and, and I just don't want to wake up. Don't wake up, man. Don't wake up, and good luck, and good luck on that buck this fall too, Jason. We hope, hope, to, hope to get you on again sometime, and, and good luck the rest of the season as well, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Go get him, man. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. You guys have a great day. You All too. Right, buddy. Talk to you Congrats. soon. Yeah. Great dude. Normal, uh, you know, kind of just a guy that fell into a wonderful freaking situation. I mean, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. I like that he was supplementing his, you know, teaching and basketball <laughs> coaching career by fishing. It's like, wait. No, <laughs> it, it actually doesn't work that yeah. way. <laughs> How's that work? No doubt. Well, it certainly worked for him. Bassmaster champ for yeah. 2022. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. 
Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station and at seattlesports.com. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Rain Marine Electronics, and Les Schwab Tires. Welcome back to the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Welcome to opening day of trout season. It's also the opening day of WDFW's 2022 Trout Derby. Here to tell us all about it is none other than the Puget Sound Region Communications Director for WDFW, our friend Chase Scannell. Good morning. Good morning, Chase. Morning, buddy. Where are you at today? You out on the lake? Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, I'm down here at Martha Lake in Mill Creek. It's a beautiful morning. we got a lot of folks on the dock, a lot of boats being launched, and it's great to talk with you all again. So tell us about the Trout Derby, buddy. Um, a lot of folks excited about it. It looks like there's 800 tr- uh, uh, tag trout around the lake. Run our, run our uh, listeners through what the Trout Derby is all about, brother. Yeah, so as you mentioned earlier on the show, Robbo, we got about 16.5 million trout and kokanee stocked into lowland lakes this year, and we're expecting several hundred thousand folks out there today enjoying this fishery. And this WDFW Derby is something that the department started a few years back. We've got over 100 lakes across the state stocked with tagged trout. And if you catch one of those tagged trout, just go on to WDFWDerby.com, enter the information on that tag, and we'll send you some information on where to go and pick up a prize. As you said, we've got a little over 800 of those tagged trout swimming around in lakes and those prizes total about $37,000. They could be things from fishing rods to outdoor emporium gift cards, a whole bunch of good stuff for outdoor enthusiasts. And I'm, I'm hoping to see one of those tag, tag, tout, tag trout myself today in the anglers that I'll be surveying here at Martha Lake. And so they're little floy tags, right? They're little, uh, little spaghetti tags, right? That's right. Little white tag. So if you catch a trout with a little white tag, save it. Don't throw it away and go on to WDFWDerby.com and enter the number on that tag and we'll get you the information you need to pick up your prize. Nice. So what are you going to be throwing at them this morning, buddy? Well, so I'm out here doing angler surveys, and this this Lowland Lakes opener is such a big event for the department. You know, it's one of our biggest fishing days of the year. We sell over 700,000 freshwater licenses, and we expect that whether it's on opening day or later in the Lowland Lakes season, that about 75% of those freshwater anglers are going to fish for trout. And I can tell you from the parking lot here at Martha Lake in Mill Creek that we're already seeing a, a high angler turnout. Maybe it's the good weather. Um, there's a lot of folks out here. I saw one guy catch a trout and what looked like a rooster tail right from the boat launch mm-hmm. this morning. A lot of happy anglers already. I might do a little bit of fishing later this afternoon. And I uh, was listening in earlier and my favorite thing to do is to troll a fly on a fly rod. I, I know, mm-hmm. Tom, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> a little flashy woolly bugger just rode, rode behind a little boat or drift boat mm-hmm. or kayak. That jerky motion, just run it out there. That jerky motion on the fly, they just go crazy for it. Hey, listen, trolling oh, so a fly fun. is fly fishing, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Chase, help me out here, dude. Mm-hmm. You gotta- Come on. 
you got to cast it out there somewhere. And it, I think the, the technical term is if you're casting it with the line and not the weight of the fly, it's fly fishing. So it's okay, fly there fishing we go. in my book. Okay. All right. All well, right. thank you. All right. Now we I can don't like you lake. anymore, Chase. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Martha Lake, I remember a few years ago, a, 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 like a 10-year-old kid caught a whopper trout out of there, like a 12-pounder or something, some big old holdover that had been living in there forever. Yep. What do you recommend for, you for catching some of those holdovers? Because that's what everybody's excited about the trout. But, man, you know, you're always holding out hope that one of those big old holdovers will come climb on your stuff. What, what's the best thing to throw at it for that, uh, some of those big trout, buddy? Well, I like, I've had a lot of success on triple teasers, you know, growing mm-hmm. up at Cottage Lake and fishing over at places like Fish Lake near Lake Wenatchee. I like to run one of those sp- triple teasers or maybe a crocodile spoon just a little bit deeper than the rest of my gear. And, and that deeper rod sometimes seems to get the holdovers. And one of the things that I think is really exciting about WDFW's trout stocking program is we've got thousands of catchable rainbows in that 10-inch range that were planted in the last few weeks. But a lot of the locations around the state, including Martha Lake, where I'm sitting at today, there were thousands of fry plants that occurred last spring. Those could be cutthroat, like here at Martha Lake, could be brown trout or eastern eastern brook trout at some of the lakes in eastern Washington. And so you've got those trout that were planted last year. They're growing bigger. You've got some jumbos and triploids in the mix as well. And they're going to act a bit more like your native trout. You're going to know the difference when one of those holdovers jumps on your line. Yeah, there's no question. And we were talking about that earlier this week. And and the fry plants are interesting. You've got, you know, you contrast those with the stalker legal size. All right. So these these trout have been in in pens and been fed, you know, Oregon moist pellet or broadcast pond. These fry plants go in the lake, just little tiny guys, and they learn to make their, their living in the lake. They're eating the you know aquatic invertebrates that are available in the lake and everything else. Their fins are clean. Mm-hmm. They're really beautiful, but they fight. A, there's a different quality. They're a little they wily. Eat. They are. Yep. Oh, yeah. They are. And and they can grow to pretty pretty good size, too. And you mentioned with regard to uh, Lake Martha in, in, in particular, Chase, you're, you mentioned that most of the fry plant that go in there are cutties, right? Are cutthroat? That's right. They were all cutthroat last year. 10,000 cutthroat fly, fry planted last spring. Yeah, you, you had a good point, Chase. You know, if you're going to go out and try to target some of those holdovers, you think about what's going on. All those stalker trout that have been put in, they're used to kind of living up towards the surface. That's where they've been being fed. So they're going to be kind of taking up the real estate in that upper water column. Those stalkers are going to be down a little bit deeper. They've been living in the lake for, you know, all year or, or a couple years at some time, you know, sometimes they're going to be down cruising, probably feeding a little bit lower than, than those, uh, those stalkers. That's exactly that, that, right. They're going to be acting a little more like a, a wild trout. Yeah. And that's where just something that's a little more natural looking, looks like a, a bait fish or a sculpin or a, a worm that's a little closer to the bottom tends to be what they like in my experience. Well, now, I, not to get away from trout here, uh, Chase, but you and your dad go out every year, and you guys just rope the lings on the opener. We're a week away from the ling cut opener. Are you a live bait guy, or are you guys throwing jigs, or how do you how do you approach those lings in the sound, man? I I am a, a pretty dedicated San Juan Islands ling cod fisherman. Been doing yeah. it for a long time, and I I like to do it all. Definitely kind of cut my teeth mooching big horse herring blue or purple label Mm -hmm. that is surprisingly effective up there i don't think a lot of guys really key into that that you can you can mooch those whole herring on a six ounce weight and and they really jump on it but there's there's no debate about it you put a live sand dab or a live 
pile yeah. perch down there and and they just climb all over it so yeah i'm I'm gonna be nice. out with my Berkeley gulp sandworms trying to get my live sand dab and then I'm gonna mm-hmm. go depending on the tide to one of my favorite spots in the San Juans when the the opener kicks off those live baits were great. You can get them on jigs, you can get them on whole herring, but nothing out competes the live bait for Lincoln. And I think, nice. Rob, you would have to agree that greenling are probably mm-hmm. one of their favorite snacks for the you know those big lingcod. And yeah. if guys want to run live bait, you want to make sure if you can have a couple different types. Like catch some sand dabs if you can get some pile perch or some of those little shiners, and then. I want to make sure I have some some greenling on the boat because they just yeah. for whatever reason everything loves those things. Even they halibut, even halibut, halibut things. love those. Oh, things. Yeah. halibut just devour them. I got pictures of just whopper halibut, yep. you know, hundred to two hundred pounders on, hanging on a greenling. Um, anyway, you're not going to see that in the San Juan Islands, obviously, but uh, the lingcod sure like them and a, a nice little greenling, like an eight incher, ten incher, is just perfect because yeah. yep. they suck it right down the hatch, you know. Which so. which is kind of mean because that's kind of the lingcod's little cousin. Right, you know they don't so care. They don't. They, they don't. Care less. They don't. They're just okay, selfish yeah. eating machines. Well, you can kind, fit, kind of you like your really. link cod. Just hook yeah, a link cod up can. and send it down there, and one of them would eat it. Excuse so. me, that's a, that's against WDFW regulations, oh, Robo. Okay, I know. so but, yeah, <laughs> that's how that's how voracious they are. They though. are. I mean, they'll just eat anything. Well, well, Chase, good they luck out there. At oh, the boat hold on, hold on. Our 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 fan base has a question on the text toy. Okay. For Chase, so uh, 206-421-3776, powered by Yamaha Alvarez. Tom, please ask Chase what he thinks about an electronic punch card program, if you would. So we, we I'm get, so well, glad you asked. Well, there we go. So was that, was, was that one of your coworkers that, that's uh, chiming in? So what's going on with that? What's happening, Chase? So we've we got some exciting news on that front. So for years, the department has been trying to move forward with the authority to implement electronic licensing. And I, I've got some good news from this past legislative session. We got some great funding from the state this year to help expand our capacity. And one of the things that the legislature passed is the authority to implement electronic licensing. So that, that's something we're going to be rolling out in the years ahead. We've already got some conversations lined up with a vendor that, that Oregon actually uses so we can learn from some of their uh, trials along the way and help to, and hopefully shorten our learning curve. But, yeah, we're going to be rolling out an electronic punch card, electronic licensing for fishing. And it could take a little while. I don't have a set timeline that I can share with you yet. But it is something that the legislature approved last session, and we're excited to get to work on it. I'm going to have to retire my George Costanza wallet collection. <laughs> That's, you know, it's going to break my heart. But, you know, I used to just be kind of off balance with that. But, no, it's been a long time coming, and I'm glad it's heading that way. Because, again, I, I mean, so – before we went down Springer fishing, we knew we were fishing in, in April, and, and I had to get my license, you know, ordered like the second week of March in hopes that I'd get it before we went down. So that, that delay often, you know, is, is a hindrance in folks getting on the water. So, Chase, that's great news for sure. And, and Chase, before I let you go, I mean, one of the – we interviewed you prior to you jump coming on board with WDFW on your Highway 97 Mule Deer uh, Crossing Project deal – Give us uh, give us a little update on, on what's going on with the Okanagan muleys there, and how's this winter kind of uh, affected them on the uh, on the whole uh, survival front as well. 
Well, yeah, and so my, my role with the Department of Fish and Wildlife, I started late last year after working in our, in our regional conservation sector for the last decade. I started as a Puget Sound regional communications manager, just as a lifelong hunter and fisher here. It was something I, I couldn't pass up, and I wanted to bring my professional skills to working inside the department. But previous to taking this job, I had done a lot of work on the Safe Passage 97 project over there in the Okanagan, and that was another bright spot from the legislature this past session. The legislature provided funding to the Washington State Department of Transportation, WashDOT, to implement one wildlife undercrossing under Highway 97 at one of those spots where they're seeing hundreds of mule deer hit and killed by cars every year. And there's been some initial work that's happened up there. They've put in over a mile of fencing and had renovated Janus Bridge, and we're already seeing really nice bucks and does and even some other wildlife like bobcats and turkeys using that wildlife undercrossing. And now WashDOT, from the legislature this past session has funding for one more undercrossing. So that's going to be exciting to help move that project forward. Um, hopefully we can get someone maybe from the Department of Transportation to come on with you guys and tell you more about it because it is really an exciting project. I worked on it for about five years, and now that I'm with the department, I can watch from afar and just see it move forward. And as a big Okanagan mule deer hunter and advocate myself, um, you know, that herd needs, needs some help. We, we've seen a tough year. There was some disease issues all across eastern Washington, the drought. They're, they're facing issues from loss of connectivity and their migration corridors. So projects like that Safe Passage 97 are really important to get that herd back where it needs to be. He is Chase Gunnell. And, uh, dude, do not be a stranger. Let's, let's go bend a rod this summer, dude. That'd be great. Be happy to talk more with you guys. All right, man. Chase, appreciate it. Buddy. Thanks and, a lot, and, Chase. And listen, if you got any embarrassing boat ramp photos from Lake, Wa- Lake Martha this Just morning. Just forward them over. Yeah, send them over, you know, and we'll, we'll submit them to the qualified captain for you. So whichever works. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. Well, Have thank a great weekend, buddy. You too. All right, All right Chase. Thanks so much. Coming up next, a critically acclaimed award-winning Northwest Outdoor Report right here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Thanks for listening to the best of the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. You missed any of the show, jump on MyNorthwest.com, download that Apple podcast app, or hit theoutdoorline.com. We'll see you next week right here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app.